Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I really did not expect to begin the program today with a take on the Boston Celtics. Then again, I never thought the Celtics would go out and take a big dump in their pants. You have a big dump in your pants. Against the OKC Thunder. I mean, you got to wonder, right? You got to wonder if at any point last night, Brad Stevens was regretting not listening to what Indiana University had to say when they allegedly had $70 million to throw his way to get him to Bloomington. Allegedly. Because last night may have been rock bottom for my guy as head coach of the Boston Celtics. I mean, rock bottom, period. Well, maybe not Kyrie era level bad, but pretty close. I mean, Celtics fan, I get that you were down a few guys yourself. I do. But you couldn't beat the tanking, rebuilding Oklahoma City Thunder? I mean, come on. Now, to your credit, you have had some bad losses this season, but this one was by far the worst. Below not good. Way to clutch the hell down. That's a Thunder squad that had lost 14 games in a row with virtually no incentive or no interest in even trying. Hell, most nights, they don't even bother getting off the bus. Not only do they lose almost every single night, they don't even compete. OKC's starting unit last night was younger than the Baylor Bears, who just won the NCAA tournament. I mean, I would list the name of dudes the Thunder are rolling with right now, but trust me, you wouldn't know any of them, except maybe Lou Dort. I love Lou Dort. I love him. Hey, Adam, do you even know who Lou Dort is? Hawk's response is, well, it is an amazing name. It's a good name. It's a good name. If you can have two names, a first name and a last name, totaling six letters, that's pretty damn good. Sign Jim Rome. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anyway, the worst part about last night's game. The worst part about last night's 119 to 115 loss for Boston and why it's so hard to swallow is, well, the Thunder played like ass again. Listen, I pride myself on having a much better description than saying somebody played like ass. That's kind of like where the big head, James Kelly, lives. You know, that guy murders the English language every time I put him on. Me, I'm kind of a wordsmith. I've got a better way to communicate, describe things than getting really lazy and saying that a team played like ass. I mean, saying saying that somebody played like ass is not much better than saying that something sucks. Saying something sucks is not a take. So saying that somebody played like ass isn't either. Except the Thunder were ass last night. Just as they are most nights when they step on the floor. But last night in particular, because they turned it over 27 times. They turned the ball over 27 times, and the Celtics still couldn't beat them. And here's the other funny thing. The Thunder were the ones playing the second game of a back-to-back. And Boston should have been motivated because they were just beaten by old man Ritz Hornets, who were playing with their JV squad. You lose that game. And then you show up by missing 38 three-pointers and you allow the Thunder to score 41 in the fourth quarter and you've got Celtics on your jersey. I mean, that is insane. 
I have never seen anything like that before, especially from a formerly great and proud franchise like the Celtics. Hence why I'm starting the program here in Southern California with a take on the Boston Celtics. And make no mistake, the Thunder, man, they did their best to lose that game. They did their best yakety sacks impersonation in the final minutes. They tried to gift you that game, Chowds. Like, they didn't even want to win that game. They did not want to win that game, but you wouldn't let them lose. I'm going to say this. You actually had me fooled last week. I really thought that you had finally, finally gotten right. I thought you would turn the corner. You'd won seven of eight. You gave the hands to a really good Sun squad. You actually look similar to that squad that had reached the Eastern Conference Finals. But now you've lost three in a row. And it's not just that you're losing, it's how you're losing. I mentioned the Celtics were down some of their studs last night. That's fine. They were. But like Jalen Brown said, this is not about health. Yeah, man. F- like, you know, we got to play with more of a sense of urgency. Um, tonight, I feel like we didn't have a sense of urgency that we needed across the board. And a team that has some young, talented players came ready to play. And we got beat. You know, we got to come and, and have some pride and, and play with some urgency. He said it. I mean, my man, at least you scored 39. At least you showed up. At least you played with some sense of urgency, Jay. But, quote, bleep. Bleep is right. Like, I said. Do that again, Alvin. Bleep. Yeah, man. Like, He's like, yeah, man. Bleep. Yeah, I don't man, care who we were like, without. Bleep. Bleep is right. I said it's rock bottom, but what if it's not? What if it's not? The 2020... 21 Celtics have got some surprise in them, don't they? Hey, you better show up. That better be rock bottom. That better be rock bottom, or before you know it, my guy Brad will be embracing his inner IU and chucking chairs across the floor, repositioning players by their trachea, and having some young fan roll up on him saying, Hey, Knight, what's up? Well, you talk about a throwback, right? Speaking of which, I keep waiting for Sports Illustrated's Where Are They Now piece to feature the Hey Knight, What's Up, Kid. I would love to know what the dude who ultimately got Bob Knight fired from IU is up to right now. Hey Knight, what's up? Oh man, do I ever love my X chair. I have never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing in my entire professional career. Honestly, it is so comfortable, I could sit for hours and never feel uncomfortable. The secret is not only their patented, dynamic, variable lumbar DVL support, which offers incredible lumbar support to my lower back, but now thanks to their new XHMT technology, I can also get heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. So instead of my old, uncomfortable office chair, which by the way, I hated, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. This chair is absolutely insane. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to my core. It helps to increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home or the office amazing. I'm telling you, you will not believe the X-Chair difference until you feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. Trust me, it is the luxury supercar of office chairs. 
Check it out right now. X Chair is on sale for $100 off. Go to xchairrome.com. xchairrome.com right now. That is the letter X, chairrome.com. Or call 1 844 4X Chair. X Chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com. Rome.com right now. Use the code X Wheels for free X Wheel Blade Casters. X Trey Lance is my guest. Trey, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, thank you. I'm I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I'm great. Hey, listen, it's been a long run up to tomorrow night. In fact, a long, long time. The draft is tomorrow. Your name is expected to be called early. I'm curious, what's today like for you, and what are you doing between now and then to get ready for the draft? Uh, yeah, today's super exciting. Uh, you know, here in Cleveland now, and just excited to obviously have an opportunity to to know where I'm going to be at. Um, hopefully, can get some sleep tonight. Uh, but but just excited. I'm curious, like the conversations you've been having with NFL teams, what have they been like? For instance, what are they asking you about and what do you want them to know about you? Um, most of them have been, you know, fairly similar. Uh, just, just wanting to know how much football I know, really, uh, and get to know me as a person uh, has been kind of the main things and main points of conversation. Uh, but for me, you know, I, I just want them to know who I am and what I'm about. Uh, I, I want teams to know exactly what they're getting. Trey Lance is joining us right now. Look, I know better than to ask you where you think you're going to go, but do you have a sense as to where you might be picked? Do you have a team in mind? How are you approaching that? Uh, not yet. Uh, kind of just open and, like I said, excited. Uh, I feel like I, I put myself in a, in a good position, done everything I can to, to set myself up uh, for success. So at this point, it's not really a whole lot of nerves, just, just excited for tomorrow night. Because you're prepared. Trey Lance is joining us. You know, it's interesting when you say that, that I've set myself up for success. One of the things that jumps out to me is your mind and the way you approach the game and life. As an example, I know you've listened to books like Golf is Not a Game of Perfect and The Inner Game of Tennis. What have you taken away from those two books when it comes to mindset? Yes, I actually haven't read Golf is Not a Game of Perfect yet. Uh, I'm reading The Inner Game of Tennis and, and I just finished Blink. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love reading about that type of stuff. Mindset is, is huge. Um, and just learning about the, the brain, I'm kind of a little bit of a nerd about it. Uh, but it's interesting to me and it's fun to learn about. So for me, you know, how you approach the game, how you approach, you know, every single day, I think has a huge impact on, on not only, you know, your life, but also the people around you. We're talking to Trey Lance, getting ready for the NFL draft, which is finally upon us. So when you went to North Dakota State, you know, that means that you're going to a program that's known for two things, winning national titles and developing quarterbacks. How would you describe that development process at North Dakota State? What was that like for you? Yeah, I learned a ton. My first year getting there, uh, being able to, to sit behind Easton Stick was, I think, the biggest blessing in the world for me. I uh, got to learn football, learn how to, you know, handle, you know, being the quarterback at North Dakota State. Um, and Easton did that, I think, just as well, if not better than anyone else that I've ever been around. Um, so for me, you know, being able to sit behind him and, and steal his notes and kind of be his shadow for that whole year uh, was, what I think, was, I think, where, where most of my development happened. We're talking to Trey Lance. So you had a huge year in 2019. In fact, one of the best in FCS history. Then came COVID. I'm curious, what was that time like? And ultimately, what led you to enter the draft this year? What kind of conversations did you have with your parents around that time? Yeah, the whole COVID, uh, obviously, situation, you know, I don't think anyone thought that, that we'd still be dealing with it as much as we are today. Um, but, but obviously, things are 
are there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel at this point, uh, at least in my mind. So I think for me, you know, making this decision to come out was just about, you know, talking to as many possible people as I could um, and getting as much feedback as I can. You know, obviously I believe in myself and I'm confident in myself. That's why I'm, you know, in the position that I am right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, I also understand that I'm not the one that, you know, decides if I get a job tomorrow night or not. Trey Lance joining us. In terms of that job, Trey, you know how it is. Like when you get ready for the NFL draft, there's so much chatter and some of it's good and some of it's not. Some of it's positive and some of it's not. So when you hear the suggestion that maybe you don't have enough experience to be that high first round pick, do you hear that? And then what do you do with that? Does that bother you or does that motivate you? Uh, yeah, I, it definitely motivates me. I, I definitely hear it. You know, I, I understand the situation that I only played, you know, 17 games. Um, so for me, you know, it's, it's one of those things I know that I, I really can't control. I don't have any control over, you know, how many passes I threw uh, in, in college games at this point. Uh, so for me, I don't, you know, I can't really worry about things that I can't control. I think, Trey, your journey is really fascinating. Like, just so people fully understand this, as a reminder, you had zero offers to play quarterback at a Power 5 school. Now you're about to become a first-round pick. How do you explain that journey? Uh, Super blessed. Just super blessed to be surrounded by awesome people, whether it's, you know, communities, coaching staffs, growing up in Marshall, being able to, you know, grow and develop and uh, in, in Fargo and Fargo Moorhead community, uh, you know, I, I give all the credit in the world to the people I've been surrounded with. So I'm super thankful for that. Um, and obviously, you know, d- just hard work uh, and, you know, uh, really, I give all the credit in the world to, to my teammates, my coaches and, and everyone that's helped me get to this point. And then, Trey, of course, family as well, right? Your father, Carlton, is a member of the Southwest Minnesota State Hall of Fame. He played pro football for a couple of years. Then he became a financial analyst. The story goes he loves to use spreadsheets to lay out the pros and cons of major decisions. Is that how that is? And if so, what did you learn from him in that process? Yeah, he's he's super detail-oriented. And, and honestly, my mom is better with Excel and spreadsheets, so my dad <laughs> will kind of have the idea, and my mom will kind of be the one to put it together. Uh, but, yeah, he, he definitely, anytime there's any type of big decision, uh, whether it's you know just for one person or a family decision, it, it goes straight on a spreadsheet, and I'm just expecting it, just waiting for it in my email. Uh, but, yeah, his, his just how detail-oriented it is, and, and obviously – uh, just him teaching me, you know, how to, to be a man, how to compete. Um, I think just my competitiveness comes from him for sure. All right. So you are working with Old Spice and their partnership with Big Brother, Big Sisters of America to help draft the next generation of mentors. How did you get involved in this? And what do you like about this? Yeah, I'm super excited to be partnered with Old Spice uh, and, and really just proud. Like you mentioned, just their partners with their partnership with, with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, putting the spotlight on mentorship. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today uh, without, you know, all the mentors, like I mentioned earlier, whether it's coaches, you know, older teammates uh, or just people in the community. Um, so Old Spice commitment is just helping guys in the younger generation build confidence and, you know, empowering them to reach, you know, their potential uh, is huge. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud uh, to be partnered with them. Uh, and, and for more information about it, BigDraft21.com has, has a ton more about, you know, their partnership and everything they're doing. Trey, I got to tell you something, man. You, you're already a pro in every sense of the word, man. You sound really comfortable and really calm and really in the moment. Like, how did you go about putting yourself in this situation to enjoy the process as much as you are? Uh, yeah, I think my biggest thing in my mindset is controlling what I can control and not really worrying about, you know, what I can't. Um, so for me, I can control my attitude and effort every single day. Uh, so waking up and, and choosing not to have a bad day every single day is, it's, you know, once you get used to it, it's, it's not a very hard thing. Uh, it sounds kind of, might sound kind of crazy, but just not having bad days, I think is, is something you can totally control. Uh, not letting, you know, a bad 10 seconds or, or 60 seconds of a day ruin your whole day uh, is definitely something that I think has had a huge impact on me.
I think that's awesome. He's a former North Dakota State quarterback, a two-time national champion, and did appear courtesy of Old Spice and their partnership with Big Brother, Big Sisters of America. Trey, great job. Nice to have you on the show. Good luck tomorrow night. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877 877- Ask Dell. All right, so let's talk Chris Weidman for a minute. I mentioned he snapped his leg in half like a twig on Saturday night. And so far, he's handled it a lot better than I ever could. In fact, he, he handled it better then than I did. And nothing happened to me other than I had to see it happen. And I had to hear it happen. But it didn't happen to me. Yet, it happened to him. And he handled it much better then. And he's handling it much better right now than I am. And it's got nothing to do with me at all. He's the guy who got his leg splintered, and I'm taking it a lot worse than he is. Like, I haven't been right since I saw that live on Saturday night. And this guy's just rolling right through life like it didn't happen at all. He's been on Instagram posting videos and pics and comments, and he posted the x-rays of the injury. And I didn't think that anything would be worse than seeing the injury live. But seeing the x-rays is a very close second. When it comes to stomach-turning nightmare fuel, the x-rays are giving the video of that injury a very good run for the money. Like, forget watching video of that leg snap again. I can't even look at the x-rays of the aftermath of that popsicle stick shattering. But I forced myself to do so. Why? That's why they pay me for the sake of the show. They pay me to look at these picks so you don't have to. So you can thank me right about now. And you're welcome. Because holy crap, it's even worse than I thought. The first image is what appears to be the lower part of his leg. But honestly, I'm not even sure. That's how jacked up that is. Legs are not supposed to bend the way that picture did. Like generally speaking, I think, and I'm no doctor, but... Ideally, your lower leg is pretty straight. This one, though, takes a hard right angle. It's nasty. Then you get to the post-op x-rays that show a leg that have more hardware than a Home Depot. That's supposed to make it better? That's supposed to be encouraging? I'm not sure it is. My man's leg looks like the result of Hugh Jackman and that kid going to the junkyard in real steel. What are we looking for? Anything I could use to put a fighting robot together. That's what my man looks like now. A fighting robot. Weidman probably, he'd laugh at that. He'd probably think that's funny. Like, I don't know about you. When was the last time you had surgery? And what was your pre-op like? What was your post-op like? Is it something that you want to get into? This guy could not wait to tell you about that Home Depot run. They put a titanium rod through the tibia. So through the knee, they go through the knee and take the rod and they, I don't know, drill it through the tibia and make it straight and hard. My fibula was broken as well, but I guess when they put the tibia back together and my leg was straight, the fibula kind of matched back up to where it was broken and they feel like that could heal on its own without, you know, as long as I'm not putting weight on it and stuff. I mean, I know that 
that might have been somewhat inaudible, but you know that whole rap about how you can never find anybody at Home Depot? My man found somebody at Home Depot. He found somebody, and they installed most of the store in his leg. Yet somehow, despite all of that, this guy is on Instagram recording videos, pushing content, and thanking everybody involved. Hey, what's going on, guys? I am going to get to leave this hospital in Jacksonville, Florida uh, today. I'm excited to get back home and get in my own bed um, and continue with the recovery. I want to thank Dr. Gitlin out of this hospital in Jacksonville. He's the one who performed my surgery. It was you know, a complete success. Um, I want to thank Dr. Davidson from the UFC for being in touch with all the doctors here at this hospital and making sure they're doing the right thing and staying in touch with me and helping me explain some of the, uh, the details of what's going on inside my leg and things to look out for and um, kind of steps we have to make moving forward. Uh, bless that UFC staff. My man, I mean, he, he, what's going on, guys? I love a guy, like, turning the phone around. Hey, wait, yo, what's up? What's cracking? How y'all feeling? What's going on? What's going on? You got a shattered leg, bro. You're stuck in Jacksonville. What's going on? This guy's just all up in here on Instagram talking about getting released from the hospital, getting into a car, going to the airport, taking a private jet home. And on the private jet, you know, he's rocking. I Feel Good by James Brown. I mean, like, now we're moving on to musical jokes when you're coming out of a catastrophic surgery and you're looking at a recovery like the one he's facing. And he's just making jokes, man. Again, these guys are different. But how different? How about this? He said this, quote, The primary concern is the bone punctured through my calf and skin when I put my weight on it, making sure the laceration doesn't get infected. End of quote. Once again, I am no doctor, but I think that's a really good primary concern to have. When doctors are telling you that the bone went through your calf and skin, or the bone out of your calf through your skin when you stand on it, and you want to make sure that the lacerated area does not get infected, that's a primary concern. Yeah, I would say that's a really good primary concern. In fact, that'd be the only thing that I would be thinking about for the next 12 months. But not my man Weidman. This legend is all up in here on Instagram posting a thank you message to Uriah Hall, his opponent on Saturday. Quote, thanks so much, brother. This sucks, but I believe something great will come from this. I can't make sense of this. End quote. He thanked Hall. Thank you. Thank you. For what? Checking my kick that shattered my leg? Like, good looking out, my guy. Bros for life. Again, man, I, I mean, I say this with great respect and awe. I know these dudes are a different breed. I know they're a breed apart. They're just different from the rest of us. But Weidman is making one of the gnarliest injuries ever seem like one of the best things ever. How is this guy doing this? Is he still in shock from shattering his leg? Because I think I'm still in shock from him shattering his leg. How is this dude handling something that horrific that well. And then he posts this one last message to Hall, quote, just noticed in the pic that you posted for the first time, the bone coming out of the back of my calf. And then he chases that with four emojis. Yeah, I've got four emojis. I've got four of my own that I want to post. The puke emojis. 
Because I didn't notice that in that pick the first time I looked at it either. But now that I have, I can't unsee it. I mean, I'm not even looking at the pick right now, and I'm still seeing it. We had this whole debate on the program Monday. Remember Brad, a cycling degenerate from the 360, emailed in and said that he just can't get with the sport. And then the JTP bum-rushed him, going all Joaquin on his weenie ass. Remember that? And I did my best to moderate that whole thing. And I said, listen, if that's the way that guy feels, that's the way that guy feels. He's not wrong. I love the sport, but it is violent. It is barbaric. It's not for everybody. And if you're not about that life, I get it. But I'm here to tell you that there are even things in that sport that I can't wrap my head around, and I love the sport. Namely, Chris Weidman experiencing something as catastrophic as he did, yet acting like not only was it not a bad thing, but it was a great thing, and thanking anybody and everybody who had anything to do with it. Like, I just don't get it. I respect it. I admire it. And I really want to understand it in the worst possible way. I'm just not sure that I ever will. Except to say that it takes a different breed of cat to even step in that cage in the first place. And then a next level breed of cat to suffer the injury that he suffered and handle it the way he is. Like, if you don't know what I'm talking about and you need some context, I think enough time has passed. You know how some things seem really gruesome and really shocking at the time, but not a couple of days after? Here is what happened to my guy on Saturday night. He closes a slight plus 105 betting underdog per DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, my bad. My bad. You know how I said, you know, some things seem gruesome in the moment, but as time goes on, it starts to get better. Not that. Not enough time. Excuse me, my bad. Did you, did you hear the way that sounded? Never mind how that looked. That sound followed by announcers screaming, oh my God, is something I can't unhear, I can't unsee, I can't unthink. And this is a huge Weidman house. My man's come a long way. This is Chris Weidman on this show back in 2014 talking about how he likes to talk now, but back when he used to be the champ, he didn't really want to talk because he had to. Yeah, you're just kind of so weird. You, know, you just get thrown into it. Uh, you know, you do one interview to the next, and all of a sudden, you know, your high school wants you to come back and give a speech, and, you know, you're crapping your pants over it. <laughs> you, and you get through it. You got, you got a couple of mumbles in there, but you got through it, and before you know it, you just kind of get kind of get used to it. And now I, I actually like talking. You know, I like doing the public speaking and trying to inspire people. And My guy. Now it's 2014. I like the public speaking. I like to try to inspire people. My man, you inspired me to be a lot tougher than I am. Because I have never seen anybody suffer something like that and handle it the way he did. Jimmy Johnson is my guest. Jimmy, it's good to have you back. How are you? Good, Rome. How you doing, buddy? Good, dude. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I am uh, busier than I thought I would be in my retirement or whatever this is called that I'm up to. But, man, loving life, a uh, whole new set of challenges in front of me and, and really enjoying the process and learning right now. I love it. I want to talk to you about all that stuff. So you're coming off your second IndyCar race, your first on a street course. Before we get into the details, what's it like to be a rookie all over again? How does that part feel? <laughs> it's tough. 
you know, you would think that racing, there would be more crossover than, than what we have between IndyCar and stock cars. But uh, to my surprise, they are far more different in creating speed and, and how to really work within the series and the tires and the cars and the technology that's provided. Uh, so I'm, I'm learning, learning a lot more than I thought I would need to. But, but again, just enjoying it all. Jimmy Johnson joining us. So what about that? Like you said, the experience of driving in an IndyCar is so much more than what you could imagine just watching it on TV or even in person, and it is a blast. I mean, how would you describe it? What makes it so unique? The G-forces in the car and the experience and sensations that come with it is, is more than I could have ever expected. I mean, I've, I've had a chance to drive, you know, 200-plus miles an hour on ovals and these great NASCAR high horsepower vehicles, but these little bullets that are Indy cars are—they're uh, insane. I mean, they're they're over half the weight of a NASCAR vehicle with more power, big sticky tires on the car, tons of downforce. So they just—they do everything like at a, at a level that almost feels like you're playing a video game. Jimmy Johnson is joining us. You know, I hear you lay it out like that is really, really unique. Like that first race in IndyCar at Barber Motorsports Park, you involved or were involved in the big crash on lap one. You had to make your way through the onboard camera view of the scene. I mean, that was wild. What was it like to start your IndyCar career and have to deal with that right out of the chute? Yeah, I was afraid my first start was only going to consist of four turns and, and then I was done. But <laughs> Thankfully, I made it through the crash and, you know, was able to get some more experience on track and, and run the laps. But, you know, the cars, everything about them is so sped up that even when that incident started, I just couldn't believe how quickly it, it turned ugly and how many cars were caught up in it. Hmm. Then you go from Barber to your first street race in St. Pete. What was the experience like in St. Petersburg? Man, I, I can only equate it to maybe Bristol um, in the NASCAR series where you know, you're just in such a tight, confined space at a high rate of speed that, um, you know, your eyes really have a hard time adjusting to it. The street course was also much rougher than I anticipated as you go through all the, you know, transitions from these city roads, manhole covers that are, you know, there on the city streets, uh, the surface changes. It's quite a violent experience, uh, but, but at a really high rate of speed. So, I was uh, I was quite impressed, and, and again, I've been saying this to some of the different media folks. You know, these IndyCar drivers deserve a lot of credit for making it look so easy, I and mean, they make it look effortless. But it is so more technical and physical than I first expected. We're talking to Jimmy Johnson. I was going to ask about the drivers. All right, so since you mentioned that, like, how different is the vibe among the drivers in IndyCar as compared to NASCAR? Is there a noticeable difference? There is, and I mean, I think when you're young, you kind of choose a path if you're going to have a career with fenders or without, and, you know, that's happening younger and younger these days than when I first came along, and, and with that, you know, come the experiences of driving the car, the cities and states that you compete and race in, even the countries that you race in, and open wheel, um, it's very common for drivers to travel the world or have drivers from other countries come in and participate, so there's, there's a different culture, a different scene, a different vibe. Certainly all racers at heart, and both are, are very interesting, but, but there are some differences. We're talking to Jimmy Johnson. It's kind of funny. Like Some of these guys have hit you with student driver stickers on your gear as a joke. <laughs> like, Has there been any rookie hazing, or are they giving the legend the respect that he deserves? I'm getting plenty of respect, and I appreciate it. My, my teammates are having a little fun with me on social media, but other than that, 
it's been pretty straightforward. You know, I'm curious about the process itself. Like, you're you're already there. I know, Jimmy, you're not there to participate. You're there to win. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I can make an argument that just by being where you are is success in and of itself. I know you want different results. Or, or would you say, because I'm already in the process, it is a success? Yeah, I mean, getting here is, has been a, a tough challenge in you know, where I am in age and career and needing to find a sponsor and a partner like Carvana to come on board. I mean, there were a lot of big victories to get to this point. Um, I think Sunday was my 10th day ever in an IndyCar, so I still have very, very limited experience. And every, literally every single lap I'm making on track is, is important and is moving the needle and is really affecting, um, you know, is a vital part of my process. So, uh, yes, I'm not where I want to be. I've had two, you know, challenging races to get started. But lessons learned and, and nothing that I'm, I'm embarrassed or ashamed of. I'm out there on the ragged edge trying to race with the best guys in the business learn new cars, new tracks, and, uh, you know, making the most of it. You bet. Jimmy Johnson is joining us. We talked about the tracks. We talked about the cars themselves. How about the way you approach this physically? You're legendary for staying in great, great shape. What is an Indy car like, running in an Indy car like from a physical standpoint? What's that been like for you? Much more physical. These cars do not have power steering. So the next time anybody hops in their car, uh, just turn the ignition to run, but don't start it and try turning the steering wheel. And that's an idea of what it's like driving one of these Indy cars. Um, and the faster you go, the more resistance you have in the steering system. And, and that means, you know, you need to really work on, on strength, upper body strength, core strength. But the thing that, that's really surprised me is the, uh, the G-force loads and how hard it is to get a breath in the car hmm. in combination with the physical uh, stress that's put on your body. And all of that drives my heart rate up. So I almost feel like, um, I, I, I do nonstop intervals in the race car, and the training has shifted to really support that as well. Much more high heart rate, high interval stuff. We're talking to Jimmy Johnson for a couple of more moments. All right, so you're not currently scheduled to race on any ovals, which includes the Indy 500. The plan right now is for you to attend it in person. What thoughts do you have when you think about being there in person for the Indy 500? First of all, I've always wanted to go to the 500 as a fan. Um, so I'm going to have that chance uh, this year and support Tony Kanaan, who will be in the American Legion Honda, uh, the 48 car taking taking over the, the ride for me on the ovals. Uh, so very excited to watch him and see how he does and cheer him on and also learn. I mean, I think a, a test session on an oval is probably a realistic next step for me. Um, I'm, I'm trying to understand the safety of these cars and um, you know what that experience is like on the ovals and if it's something I want to pursue in the future. So what about that? Is there a scenario sometime in the future where you could see yourself driving in the Indy 500? Is it something that's on your radar at some point? It is. I mean, I felt like it was off my radar uh, for the last handful of years after starting a family and the cars not really having any proper head protection around the race cars. And last year was the first year that IndyCar implemented the aero screen that they have. So it's the halo that the Formula One cars have plus a windshield or an aero screen that's really thick, this plastic that's on there that will keep debris from getting to the drivers inside the cars. And there's been numerous incidents already where uh, you could say those, those aero screens have raised the safety level of the cars to a, to a new threshold. So with that in mind, you know, my, I'm 
there's a crack uh, in the door of, to open up and, and potentially go through it and, and give it a shot. Hmm. So let me finally ask you this. Like, a lot of people, maybe if they were in your position, they might have a lot of pride about it. They might have a lot, a lot of ego about it. They might say, look, I'm the best to ever do this, the greatest to sit behind a steering wheel. I don't need to be out here learning something new, but you're not taking that approach. How come? Man, I've, this is something I've always wanted to do. And I, honestly, I feel like a couple of years ago, I've really stopped caring what people thought and the experience in the car was, was for me and, and my family and my journey and who I want to be as an individual. And looking at IndyCar and all the learning that's ahead of me, you know, I want to grow in my craft and be a better race car driver and experience more. So why wouldn't I? I mean, it's it uh, it's a very unique opportunity that I have. I'm very thankful all, for all the support that I've received in doing it. Um, but I, I have to credit to something changing in my own mind a few years ago where I'm like, I don't care. Like, this is about me. This is what I want to do. And I'm having the time of my life doing it right now. See, I, that's really interesting to me because, like, we all go through life and we process things differently. Like, final thought then, like, what changed? What happened? Was there a moment? Was there an epiphany? Like, what did you used to be like? And then what clicked on for you? You know, I spent a large part of my career just surviving and then experiencing all the, the greatness that I did at Hendrick Motorsports in the 48 car. Um, you know, I, in a lot of ways, it satisfied anything and everything that I wanted to accomplish as a racer. But with that came pressure to keep it going. And I think I finally like did away with that pressure and just decided that I, I don't need it. And it's a great form of pressure to have. I'm very thankful to have had all that success and everything that comes with it, the good, bad, and the ugly. But it, it weighed on me in some way. And I finally now look at that and just pull it to bug off. And I'm good with who I am, what I am, and why I want to be in a race car. I love that. 83 career NASCAR wins, the only race car driver ever to be named AP Male Athlete of the Year. And the next race is May 15th on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Jimmy Johnson, my guest. Jimmy's so good to get caught up. As you said, you are way busier in retirement than even you yourself expected to be. But great to get caught up with you. And thanks so much for sharing that with us. I appreciate it, Rome. Hope to see you soon, man. Speaking of beefs, some of these beefs are so random. Like, I don't even know where you come up with some of this stuff. As an example, hi, Jim. I have a beef with people who push baby carriages while smoking. I passed a guy the other day who ashed a dart on his baby's head. It's disgusting. That is a disgusting act. Sarah T., Come on, T, really? Hey, Rome. My beef, <laughs> my beef is with the tool bag in front of me at the red light that totally fails to go when the light turns green. I give a quick tap on the horn to awaken them, and they immediately summon the spirit of Chase Elliott and jam the gas pedal through the floor of their rig. Ron, now in the bay. <laughs> then this guy. Hey, Rome, here's my beef. Every Friday, the boss buys pizza for everybody. Guess who's always first in line, Jim? You got it. The office fat guy. He does this thing where he closes his eyes and he puts his hand over the pizza, pauses, and then says, this piece. This one is talking to me. It's amazing how it's always the biggest piece that talks to this whale. 
Chad in Orlando. There's your early leader in the clubhouse. Hi, Jim. I've got a beef. It's with my cleaning lady. Every time she cleans my bathroom, she changes my shower head to the jet stream mode. Never leaves it in the pulse massage, mist, or falling rain mode. Nothing like starting the day off under a power washer. Bob in Buffalo. I I don't know why, but I kind of like that one. It's kind of a humble brag, but I kind of like it. You know why I kind of like it? I got the same thing going on in my house. I wouldn't complain about it, but I but I know what you're talking about. Hey, pimp. My beef is with marshals at the local muni that cruise around the course with an iron fist. There's a reason I'm at this goat track paying 25 bucks to play Twilight. It's so that I can play and have a good time at my pace. This is not Augusta or Beth Page or Pebble. Piss off. Trevor from Houston, also good. Jim, my beef is with my wife's coworker, Glenn. Glenn sucks so bad at his job that my wife ends up having to do his job and hers which then causes her to vent to me for one to two hours every night. Stop ruining my chances at weeknight sex and burn in hell, Glenn. Paul in Albany. I'm telling you, this is why you callers can never catch up to the emailers and social media types. Dear Jim, my beef is with Silk Bra. Taking a shot at Blue Collar Nation yesterday. The world needs more HVAC guys and mechanics. You've probably never worked a hard day in your life, silk bag. Go back to losing local city runoffs to illiterate Neanderthals and wheezing off your wife's juice, bud. War Bake Nation, War Blue Collar Nation. Scott Bob in the Bay. You see Jimmy. My beef is with washed up, no longer relevant clones. Like silky, soft-bodied, substitute babysitter narc leech. CJ in the Bay. Wow. Rome. I got beef with automatic tip screen starting at 18%. You weren't getting 15% to scoop some rice and meat into a bowl. You sure as hell aren't getting 18 to 25%. Steven PHX. Jim, my beef is with drive-up ATM Jackwad. We've all been behind this guy. Dude withdraws 80 bucks like it's his last 80 bucks. He counts the four bills five times to make sure he didn't get screwed. He then opens his wallet, takes out the crumpled $1 and $5 bills, tries to smooth them out, and then puts it all back. Then he reads the receipt several times to make sure it jives with the withdrawal. He adjusts his mirrors. Come on, man. Pull ahead and do all that, you inconsiderate butthole. butthole. Mike butthole. and Snowbird. Butthole. butthole. Now we're getting long form with it. Hello, Rim Jome. This is my beef. Airlines using the pandemic as an excuse to cut costs and add to the bottom line. 
Per the flight attendant, for your safety and to limit contact, we will not be offering a beverage service today. Yeah, right, but it certainly doesn't bother them to jam 200 people on the plane shoulder to shoulder with an empty seat or without one. Oh, and please spare me the 10-minute credit card commercial at the end of every single flight. We all know this is not a limited-time offer. Funny how safety and limited contract or contact are not an issue while they're walking down the aisle handing out applications. Brad in G-Rap. Hey, Romy. My beef needs a short setup. Back in my college days, I ran with a group of buddies who are all still friends to this day. One of these guys moved to London for a year back in 06. Ever since he moved back to the States, he's been calling us mate. Hey, Bag, you lived there for a year, 15 years ago. Enough already. And tan smack, I got a beef. We travel baseball, Dad. Dudes yelling and screaming at their 12-year-olds like it's Game 7 of the World Series. Get a life, loser. Oh, yeah, your kid hates you. All right, let's go to the phones. 1-800-636-8686. Marshall in Orlando, what is your beef? Yeah, my beef is movies or TV shows that insist on depicting realistic scenes of people vomiting or of women giving birth. Like, we all get it. Both of those events are painful and traumatic. I just don't need to see puke splattering on the floor or women with their legs in stirrups sweating and screaming in pain. It does not make the show any better. So for the love of God, leave something to our imagination. Late. Thank you. See you later. That's a pretty good beef. 1-800-636-8686. I'm looking for beefs on the phones. Let's go this time to... Why don't we go to John in New York... John, what is your beef? Beef is with Jeff in Southfield. Um, the only time Jeff in Southfield should apologize for a phone call is when Scabs makes a, a good phone call or when Wells can fit into a camera lens. Uh, in other words, never, Jim. Have a good day, and thanks for the platform. John in New York. I've not heard him in a while. Showing up with the beef. Hey, John. You know, hey, John. You're, you're lucky you're my guy, right? If you were anybody else, you would have been hammered. 1-800-636-8686. We're doing the beef segment right now. Let's go to Kathleen in Omaha. She is a mainstay of this segment. Kathleen, what is your beef? MLB are, are ass turkeys for not giving Madison his no-hitter. How is he supposed to go nine innings when he's in a doubleheader? It's not his fault his Saturday start got rained out. Give the baby bunny his no-hitter. Kathleen. MLB are, quote, ass turkeys. Give the baby bunny his no-hitter. I never thought that I would say this, but I agree with Kathleen. Give the baby bunny his no-hitter. If it goes in the books as a shutout, if it goes in the books as a win, why does it not go in the books as a no-hitter? 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Albany. Kenny. Kenny, what's your beef? My beef. Is with a kid that stole my Xbox, who broke into my house, the little piss in it, and with his parents as well. How do you keep eyes on that little puke stain? All right, Kenny, sorry about that. Apparently somebody broke into his house and ripped his Xbox. All right. Sounded pretty serious. 1-800-636-8686. I'm trying to push you callers to keep up with the social media types and the emailers. So far, you're not succeeding. 
Let's go to Wisco. Susie in Wisco. Susie, how are you? What's your beef? Good, Jim. I appreciate you taking my call again because I have a beef with Rex and the ABQ for saying that those in the UFC are basically cockfighters. I say, fine, don't watch then because chances are you don't have a TV in your bathroom anyhow. And not to go all PETA on him, but these are trained athletes that display respect for one another, strength physically and mentally, and dedication to their craft that is not often shown by the likes of chickens. Susie, I would have run you myself, but I'm glad that Alvin didn't. I would have missed that at the end of the call. We do this beef segment every single Wednesday, generally in the second hour. If you're watching on the simulcast on CBS Sports Network, you see a giant plastic tower of beef to my left. You are running out of time. We're rolling through telephone calls. Let's go to Fort Collins. Kobe in Fort Collins. Kobe, what's your beef? Jim Gillett, what's good? Thanks for the vine. My beef is with uh, cheap operating fast food guy. Look, the next time you're in a Monday meeting, why don't you take a couple of those execs and throw them in the luxury sled? No, I'm not asking you to cash in your 401k to go to five guys. Bend the corner and go to a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. When you pull up to that drive-thru, you will say, dear God, I'm going to be here all day. By the time you look down and see your phone, you will have someone pounding on your window with an ah. All right, so here's the thing. I don't want to be a hypocrite about this because especially today, I read some long-form emails. So I don't want to roll in here and say, you know what? You got to make that thing tighter. If you're on the phones, get in, get out, get your beef on the air, keep moving. I don't want to say that when I did read a couple of paragraph emails, but it's still got to be good. And that wasn't. And you're best off being able to get in and get out. Man, just say what your beef is. Say what your beef is. Keep moving. 1-800-636-8686. How about Madison? Pete in Madtown. Pete, what is your beef? Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for the line. Uh, I just want to point out that uh, these people that you go out to dinner with as a group, and everybody at the table orders their dinner, but you also order appetizers and wine, and everybody eats and drinks the appetizers and wine. But when it comes down to pay the pill, these people look at the bill, they pay for the amount of their entree, and maybe throw in a dollar for tax and tip and think that they've covered their share. And then their excuse is, well, you ordered the appetizers and the wine, not me. You drank it. You ate it. Pay for it. I can go with that. You got it. Pete Madison. That's always kind of sketchy, right? Multiple checks are always tricky. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not saying that you don't do that. I mean, obviously. You got to do that. However, you should pay for what you eat. You should pay for what you drink. Don't try and put that off on somebody else. Let's go to Bill in Detroit. It's good to have you, Bill. What's yeah, your beef? Hey, Jim. Here's my beef. It's uh, hipsters that go into these little small cafes with about six tables, flip open their laptops, and take up all the space for about four hours. Finish your coffee, eat your bagel, get the hell out of the bag. I'm out. I got you, Bill. It's not unreasonable. They're trying to rip the Wi-Fi, man. They're trying to rip the Wi-Fi. They're trying to get out of their house. They got nowhere else to be. They've got no friends. They're trying to write their screenplay. This is not a new thing, but I feel you, and I don't disagree with you. Let's go to Ventura. Terry in Ventura. Terry, what is your beef? Hey, Jim. My beef is with the Sunflower Sea guy. Now... They just got back to playing Little League Baseball and all that. That's great. But during the time they were off, idiots bringing the sunflower seeds to the golf course. No place for sunflower seeds. 
especially on the green. Dude, you spin them on the green. I'm an old geezer. I'm not going to go hands with it for any reason, but that I would. I'm not going to move it even with my putter. Come on, man. What's Come up? on, man. I feel you, Terry. You're not going to mark that putt with somebody else's seed? I hear you, dude. He's got a point now, right? Don't be spitting your seeds all over the green. Nobody wants to roll their putt over that. You're running out of time. Let's go to Cleveland. Pete in Cleveland. Pete, what's your beef? Romeus Maximus, what's up, my man? What's up, dude? My beef is very simple. I hate when cheap business soup bag walks into my restaurant and asks me what comes with the salmon. It's like, bro, look at the English text to the right of where it says Alaskan salmon. It's real simple. Read the print. I love it. Nice job, Pete. Well done. Read the menu, dude. Just read the menu. Don't ask me what it comes with. It's written right there next to the entree. Read the menu. Not bad. A little rally at the end. He is Josh Norman. Josh, it's been a minute or two since you and I got caught up. How you doing these days? How is the offseason treating you so far? Yeah, man, it has been a little Yeah, man, for sure it has been. But the offseason has been great, man. A lot of things been going on for us. um, But I also want to take a moment to um, give my condolences to everyone who lost lives this past year um, due to the pandemic because it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot going on. Um, a lot of people have been struggling. So um, my heart goes out to everyone in that space. I appreciate but other than that, like I've, I've been great. It's been a blessing just to see everything that has evolved over time from see that planet before to now coming up and sprouting. So, yeah, it's been great. Josh Norman joining us. There's actually a lot in that response. I can hear it in your voice. You've been into a lot of different things, both on and off the field, and it has been quite a year, no doubt about that. In fact, I want to get into some of these things you've done away from the field momentarily. Let's talk a little football, Josh, for one moment. When you look back on last season and your time with the Bills, what kind of thoughts do you have? What comes to mind, and what was that experience like? Well, what comes to mind... Uh... <laughs> That's a double-edged sword right there. Uh, a lot of things come to mind just just because of how we went through that season and, and how great it was. Uh, the teammates, just the fresh start. I mean, guys just all buying into, you know, the system that, that was there. And guys really, like, showing up each and every Sunday where no fans was in the stands. It was very weird. But after a while, it became the new norm, and they just got it going. And I think when we got into the playoffs, I think that was the um, the most exciting thing when we got to have fans in the stands during that game. And then when we went off to play, um, obviously that's the sword that stabbed us. That you know, ended our run, which is a bittersweet. Um, but at the same time, it was something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed my time there. Talking to Josh Norman, Josh, on a personal level, like there were some challenges that you dealt with. There were some injuries you had to fight through. I mean, you go through a season like that where you get banged up. It's during a pandemic. I mean, it might be easy to kind of lose focus, maybe even be a little bit frustrated or bitter, and then focus just on yourself. But you didn't let that happen. In fact, you were really conscious about showing up every single day and trying to lead from the front. Why was that so important to you, and especially at this point in your career? 
you know, a lot of people get knocked down in life. And they stay down. And they have this woe is me attitude. But what is it to be said about the person who knocked down and gets back up and still keep on ticking, you know? It's almost like ticking and licking, but still ticking. Uh, for me, I had to look at it as, okay, I'm posed with these challenges and these obstacles. How do I overcome this? Um, like I said, I can have that war in the attitude, but what did I do for me? <laughs> Nothing. So why don't I get involved? Why don't I do something um, to where I can help someone else out? And then that's when I got in the community, really, and, you know, we started the, the Buffalo Business Blitz. Um, God was speaking to me. He was waiting on my heart. He was like, you got to go out there and do something. You see all these things that's going on, and people and the challenges with COVID, and how can you help? How can you be um, a, a pillar in the community to give back to um, the more you have, the, the more you seem to want to give, uh, I think. And so, therefore, I got involved in that. And ended up, we ended up raising half a million dollars to give back to a small business there, Buffalo Business Blitz. So that was a blessing in the skies. I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I was um, playing. Um, but those injuries, no setbacks, just only opened up to something more beautiful, and that was helping people out. So I take it for that, and, you know, um, we ended up going to playoffs and getting deep there and <laughs> end up, you know, um, being a great run when you look back at it. But overall, would I have liked to play? Of course, I think that's the mindset that you would want to have as a, a player in that mentality space. But same time, hey, look, got to play the cards you've been dealt, man. Good for you, man. I love that. Josh Norman joining us. you got to play the hand you're dealt. And also, you could be woe as me, but to your point, what good would that do? That wouldn't do anybody any good. And if you can't be out there, you got to find a way to contribute. And you did in that community. You know, Josh, you had a great quote, I thought, earlier this spring. You said, quote, 10 under my belt and a championship ring and rocking the beautiful Vince Lombardi hoisted up over my head with a sweet kiss on its cheek. That's all that matters to me. I can go kumbaya after that if that happens. But until then, we're in this and we're in it for the long haul, end quote. So I'm curious where that leaves you. You have that. Nobody can take that from you. You're a free agent at the moment. So how are you approaching this part of the process and what are you looking for in a team? Well, so I'm... I'm not anxious to bite it any bit. <laughs> I'm just kind of, by my time, and reason I speak for itself. I know who I am and what we do. I think the thing is now is um, who is that contender that actually can get my final goal that I can cap off, that I can check off my book and say, yes, we completed the trifecta here in this league. <laughs> um, and if we can reach that, I think that, we did everything we, we set out to do from the start. And uh, right now, just working, training, and, and, and buying our time. I think after this draft come up, a lot of things going to be more um, settled. And we'll have more of a clear view and picture of what we want and who we're looking at. But there are things, um, of course, that you want to have a, a good matchmaking with anything. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, after that, all smoke settles from tomorrow then yeah we'll go forth and see who that team looks like talking to josh norman you're right the draft finally is going to happen tomorrow and then a lot of things play out and a lot of doors open up so we'll see and you've done a lot of things now we talked about some of the things you've done off the field you've done a lot of traveling including going to the running of the bulls back in 2019 (laughs) 
You were at Anfield for when Liverpool beat Barcelona in that epic champion Champions League oh. match. Tell me about that. What do you remember about that game? Oh, man. Listen, I remember that game for the rest of my life. I don't know if anything will be able to top it, but oh. <laughs> who knows? Tell me. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, the game was just magical, man. Just coming in Anfield, you just feel the history there. It just protrudes off of the walls there. I mean, I walk into the stadium, I go to the VIP the 10 almost, and then I run into the where Anfield is. And I'm standing there in the middle for people I don't know, obviously. And they're, how would I say, super fans? You know super fans, right? We sure. have some fans here. They're fanatics. But fans there, <laughs> they're super fans, but more controlled super fans. So they know the game and everything about it. They got chants and fire and everything. And, and so it's totally different, totally different. So when they get ready to play, Liverpool, they do not have pretty much any of their starters. They're three big guns. They just like having Stan, Tyree, KD, and <laughs> somebody else not playing that game. Oh, shoot, you underhanded. You undercard. So these guys right now, they undercard. They don't have Sonny, they don't have Firmino, and they don't have um, – they don't have none of their big three. Everybody's out there. <laughs> and they got to be the aggregate, which is Barcelona. It's like four goals or something. Never would have thought it happened. Came down, they played. One goal happened. Next goal. Next goal. Listen, I'm high-fiving fans that I don't even know. I'm hugging some guy next to me. <laughs> He's spilling his drink. <laughs> like, it was magical. And then they get that last goal within the 80th minute. Yo. It was just incredible. Like, I get chills talking about it right now. So, I can't explain it. You had to be there other than just sitting there just realizing that, man, this is how they get down over here. It's a great way. It it was cool, man. I'll tell you what's cool. You know what's cool to me? Number one, that that is how they get down over there. But what's cool to me is it's one thing to hear hear a super fan describe it like that. Quite another to hear a guy who played in the NFL 10 years describe it like that. What about the running with the Bulls? It's something I've always wanted to do. I've never done that before. What's that experience like? Well, I felt like I've been there before. (laughs) Say that. Some part of me felt like it like literally from the past ages or something to come back into me just felt like I, I belong. So when I got out there and I was running with them on the street, it was cool. Like obviously I was running past people. But then the bulls came around that corner, they called it the dead man corner. I hit the deck because <laughs> I don't know what may happen. But then you get up, you run and you go all the way to the stand stadium and I didn't know you can go in it. So I go into the stadium Man, listen, it's like a whole bunch of people just crowded around in sand. It's almost like a coliseum. And you got people that's watching, spectators and stuff that's in seats. And then guess what? Like behind the whole entire case, they let a bull out <laughs> with all these people that's inside the stands, like in, in, that, in that like sand pit, you want to call it. Yo, the bull runs around and just takes their horns and just hits people, and then they go fine. <laughs> just think about 100 people in a circle and a bull let loose. <laughs> That's literally what's going on. Dude. 
So I sat up there and looked at it like, man, everybody's just running away from me and trying to tag it. I'm just going to go over it. <laughs> just think nothing of it. So the bull, me and him locked eyes. I got his attention. And shoot, man, I just ran straight for him. And he ran straight for me. And then I just took a leap and cleared him. And yeah, and I crowd went crazy. I didn't realize that it happened until after the fact. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. And after I left there, it was like, El Salvador, El Salvador. And I was like, what the heck is that? It was like the jumper. Jumper. I was like, all right, cool, man. I started getting that whole thing, and I went down the next day, and it was like, El Salvador, can I buy you a drink? And I'm like, nah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> And then I flew out the next day. So it, it was a cool experience, man. I would say anybody ever want to just go and spectate, that would be somewhere to go. Dude, that is absolutely incredible. Like, we've all seen the video of you jumping over that bull, but to lay it out like that, man. And then all of a sudden, you don't have to it, – it's nice to know that you never have to buy a beer there because you are the jumper forever. So you're always good. You will never pay for a beer there ever again. Josh, no, I won't. <laughs> no, you will not. One last thought. Listen, earlier this offseason, you opened up the Stars – 2014 center in your hometown of Greenwood, South Carolina. It's a project with the Boys and Girls Club that you've been working on for a long time. You help raise $1.3 million to make that happen. Knowing that and knowing that it's official, how did that make you feel? Well, uh, it was 10 years in the making. It, it really was. It was a, a great sigh of relief because we can give something back to the community which raised me. And when you can do that, Everything else compels to it. It really does. I mean, I was truly blessed and fortunate enough to um, come into the fortunes that we had just from the game that we played and then now giving it back to the community in which that raised you. It's, it's nothing greater and sweeter than that moment. And when I was able to cut that ribbon and see how many lives that it impact and the hope that you're giving these children and kids and teens that's in that neighborhood, in the surrounding regions, man, listen, you can throw a thousand things at the wall and see what sticks. But if that one comes down that you help that child get to that next level in their life through that center, all of it compels to that. So I was, like I said, I was just a vessel for it to happen, and God blessed me enough to be in that position. And, you know, that's just literally my calling. It's my purpose. And we completed that task, and now on to the next one. And what's the next city that we're going to? So it was great today, man, and, and have and see that go through. Great to see. All pro, pro bowler. Also, he is a free agent, so we'll see where that next town is. Josh, as I mentioned, it had been a minute or two since you and I got caught up. I'm so glad we were able to do so. Great to have you on the show, Josh. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Jim. Always, man. You know you'd be fire out there. Keep going, him spin knowledge. <laughs> you too, man. Appreciate it. Good night now.